Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Derek Mendonca, co-founder of Singular Aircraft. We wanted to make something different. We wanted to make something that everyone could afford. Most planes, as you know, are very expensive. We wanted to make something affordable at a price point that nobody could compete with us. So our competitor is a 4x4 Land Rover in terms of cost. Not a plane, any 4x4 is my competitor because that's the real cost of operations. Obviously, we can take much, carry much more and travel further than where the 4x4 can go. But that is my competitor. So it was, it was we made it at a price point and it was a huge risk because we thought at the time, I said, either time will tell whether we're genius or crazy. This is Derek. He's a highly accomplished business leader with a passion for people and results, specifically for empowering people to get the best results aligned around an ambitious vision. He believes people perform at their best when they are challenged, when they are allowed to explore, encouraged to push their boundaries and inspired to compete against their own prior achievements. Derek excels at creating the engagement, excitement and professional challenge that leads to positive organizational change and encourages innovation. And exactly that skill caused him to co-found Singular Aircraft. It's a company that produces the largest and most versatile unmanned civilian aircraft. The company is on a mission to solve some meaningful and growing problems such as fighting the massive wildfires around the globe, poaching and delivering goods to operations at dangerous and remote areas. And that inspired me and hence I invited Derek to my podcast. We explore how making big progress is so often not about introducing new technology, but changing the mindset of people. Derek shares many anecdotes about his fascinating journey and opportunity with Singular Aircraft. How small thinking literally stopped countries that needed most to make big impact. He talks about the big lessons learned to overcome seemingly impossible hurdles and what helped him to stay sane in that process. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that it's easy to think about the downside of things and it's hard to be positive, choosing not to spend time or energy on what can go wrong, but actually what can go right. Secondly, why we need to start with the end in mind and envision how your product can make the biggest possible difference. Thirdly, the power of catalytic invention, creating something that excels at the three A's, applicability, accessibility, and affordability. And lastly, how to create something that drives word of mouth from the start. Well, hi, Derek. Welcome on my podcast. And Thanks. glad you could make the time today on your busy schedule to be a guest. Tom, it's a pleasure talking to you. So I'm happy to have, a, have sit down here and have this chat with you. Feel free. Let's go with it. Ask me whatever you need to Exactly, know. exactly. Well, we met recently over Lunch Club. Yes. 
And that was a fascinating, well, I wouldn't say interview because it wasn't an interview, it was just a conversation. And I mean, it's typically serendipity at work, I would say, because there were so many things that, that where we connected. And what I got really intrigued with is the story of the company where you are, it's the company that you're leading, this company in the aerospace world. I mean, and normally I got tech entrepreneurs on my podcast that are in the software business, you add a dimension to it, which is actually also connecting the, the software part plus the hardware part. Correct. So we're going to have a fascinating discussion around that. But before we do that, give the audience a little perspective about who you are. If you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, what characterizes you? I would say very easily, I'm an optimist, a little crazy, because I always believe everything is possible. Right? My friends would always say, my colleagues and friends would say to me, you drive us nuts, because you seem to never th think about the downsides. And I said, well, I do, but I don't focus on it. I said, I'm, I'm totally aware of what can go wrong. But I choose not to spend time or energy worrying about it. I focus on what can go right. So to the uninitiated, it might come across like I'm crazy. And I think you have to be crazy, a little bit crazy. You've got to dream a little. If you don't dream, you don't fly, you know? <laughs> well, connected <laughs> to the topic we're going to talk about for yeah, sure. There you go, there you go. But I, I like that mindset. Yeah, I mean, I can only applaud for that. What can go right rather than what can go wrong? And there's so many yeah. people that always think, okay, this could go wrong, this could go wrong, and therefore I don't do this. Yes. I mean, yes. we moved the whole family to Spain in the meantime 12 years ago. We could have, yeah. we had a thousand reasons why not to go. <laughs> yeah. And you we know, went. Uh, taking that mindset, when I was about 20 years old, 23, 24, I can't remember, I went into a local pizza restaurant. And in those days, things were a little different. And I said, can I deliver your pizzas? To people's homes and the guy looked at me like i was crazy i was a student i needed to make some extra money and he said why would people want to have a pizza delivered to their home he said they want a pizza they come and sit in my restaurant papa john's and we have a nice meal and i told my friends i said this could be something new and all my friends thought i was mad now <laughs> you have delivery you have eats whatever and all these kind of things doing it and the thing is you've got to have beliefs and you've got to believe but, you know, people say to you, it can't work. So you, you fall into that mindset thinking, well, maybe I am mad. Everybody thinks it won't work. And I had all these concepts of, of doing things. And when I spoke to friends, they all said, this is mad. So I was mad to have listened to all of them instead of yeah. doing it. Because when I was younger, the risks are not so great because you don't have those commitments. So sometimes, you know, you've got to just go on and, and say, right, if you believe in it, do it. Yeah. It's the right mindset to start fantastic, well, to start re remarkable businesses. I mean, going to the topic of my book. So what's your passion? What drives you? Where do you get energy from? People. People. Because everything is about people. You know, you deal with people, you buy and sell with people, you do business with people. So it's people that motivate me. Sometimes I meet somebody, he has a lousy company, lousy product, but it's the guy who excites me. I think, wow. What can this guy do? You know, maybe we can work together. Maybe we can do something. And, yeah. and that's the thing because you bounce, you get the energy from people or the other way around. You know, they can sap your energy. So it's people. That's my passion. My passion is success. Right. And on a serious note, and I mean this, I wake up every morning and I enjoy each day. Each day might not be as goes the way I hope, but I think it could have gone worse. So I've achieved certain things, certain milestones. I think, great. Tomorrow will be better. If today wasn't great, tomorrow will be better. You know, so the thing that drives me is success is, is people, passion. I'm passionate about people and success. Yeah. Well, that's also something that I can only kind of 
attribute to. And yeah, that's a good connection to the story about the company, the company Singular Aircraft. Like I said, normally I don't have aircraft companies or car companies on my podcast, although I did, and I did have a car company on my, on my podcast. I really like the connection there to the yeah. technology bit. So Singular Aircraft was founded 2013, from what I saw on LinkedIn. Yes, yes. What, what is the big idea behind this? Okay, what happened is Lewis and myself, Lewis was the owner. We met by chance in a Chinese restaurant in London. We got talking. He asked me what I did. I told him my background. He was fascinated by my background. I was fascinated by his because it was a different world. So we talked about, could we make a difference in the world? Is there a need? Is there, is there a need for something that makes a real impact? And we're not talking about financial. We're talking about things that can be done better. There's a million people like me having these conversations every day. So Lewis was a pilot. And he said he lost a lot of his friends in firefighting exercises who died during these things. And he always wondered, you know, what could be done differently? So we sat there and we spent three hours in the restaurant just talking. And he said to me, if I could make a plane that could go into fires and put out fires without the loss of human life. So I said to him, well, why don't you do it? And I said, you just told me what your idea is. Why don't we do it? And he looked at me and he says, and I'm thinking about it. I said, don't think. I said, I don't have the background in engineering. I'm not an aviation specialist. He, Lewis is an inventor. He says, I could design this plane. I said, how long would it take you to design it? So I always start with the end in mind. I said, assuming we get this plane together, assuming it does all the things we wanted to do. I said, how many of these planes do you think we could sell? And he said, thousands. And I said, you're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. You're crazy. And he said, why do you think I'm crazy? I said, all right. So I took the financial aspect of the business. I said, you know, what's it going to cost? Overheads, roughly. I said, whatever it's going to cost, it's going to cost more. However long you think it's going to take, it's going to take longer. Right? So this discussion finished about 10 p.m. at night. And he said to me, and this is the first time we met. He said, have you got another hour? I said, what you got in mind? He says, do you mind coming back to my house? He says, I said, gee, only the pretty girls used to ask me that. They expect this from you. Nonetheless, we went back to his house. We got into his study and we started looking at planes like a Cessna. What do they sell? What do they perform? What do they do? And, you know, these were like going for seven, eight million. So we talked about it and we parked it there. The next week we met again. We went for coffee. We went for walks. We started talking and talking and talking. Eventually, we said, Lewis said to me, would you consider coming and helping me build this business? And my, my first thing is, wow, didn't expect that. I said, I know nothing about planes. I know nothing about aviation other than I sit in a plane and it takes me from A to B. And I said, I know nothing about design. And he said, you will learn. I will start it. So we sat on a corner. We shook hands. And that was the start of Singular Aircraft. Exactly. And I came home and my wife thought I was absolutely nuts. <laughs> she says, you've got an established business. You're, earning, you're making very good money. Why would you want to go off and do something? I said, because if you want something different, do something different. Yeah, true. And I said, I really love this, like, this concept, this whole idea. I said, and I like the guy. I said, we're different, but we have the same vision. And we're, he's passionate. I said, that's it. I think between us, we'll make this a success. Exactly. So. I said, Lewis, I'm going to do some due diligence on you now. Is there anything I need to know? Tell me now. Don't let me dig it and find it. And we, we laughed, we joked. And I went and we started. To tell you the truth, 
the first six months, I regretted it because I was way out of my comfort zone. I had no idea of the technology, the terms, the acronyms, what they meant. And I thought, gee, did I make a big mistake? And then yeah. I had this private mental conversation in my head. And I thought, you know what? You've done so many things. You will learn this and you're going to be good at it. True. And within nine months, I was sitting at a table with so-called experts and able to have a meaningful discussion. So we decided to build this plane. Fantastic. And the, drawing, the drawing started. Yeah, yeah I mean, to, to make the connection, I mean, I live here in, uh, in Gabia in Spain. And well, knock on wood, we didn't have a fire, a big fire here for the last two years. But when that happens, I mean, like, it's amazing what amount of damage that can of create in just a couple of hours. And it's really, I mean, sometimes when I look at it from my terrace and I see these planes coming in and going out, it's almost like a runway, like 11 planes in the air. Yes. And it's, like, it's just waiting for something to crash or something, someone to die in that. And I think it's a brilliant idea to get this going. Because, I mean, look at the United States. I mean, these incredible wildfires right. that they have. Correct. And, I mean, the normal firefighters can't even come there anymore with their trucks because everything is on fire. Correct. And, it's, and they can't, the helicopters can't work at night. True. You know, exactly. The cost of this is humongous, absolutely massive, true. massive cost. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about like th that starting point, brilliant story, by the way. And so that aha moment that was there. And then you started building and you started getting out of your comfort zone. You started learning. In nine months, you could have a meaningful discussions with, with, with experts on this topic. So, what it's, I mean, what, what always fascinates me, and I read my, my book about it, The Remarkable Effect, to try to come up with the stories about how technology and people, if you plan it in the right way, can we can deliver yeah, really, really big impact. So what did you do different just then we're going to build another plane? Like what did have to be different in order to, for it to stand out? One thing, and this was key. This was absolutely key. Correct. Very good question, Tom. We wanted to make something different. We wanted to make something that everyone could afford. Most planes, as you know, are very expensive. So... I sat and I thought about it, but I, Lewis was building this plane for a firefighting. So I said, well, hang on. Can we not make a Swiss knife in the sky? When I saw the designs of the plane, I said, we can firefight, but at the same time, we can spray crops, crop spray. So I started researching crop spray. And what I found out that it's a very hazardous operation and people that crops do spray, nearly all of them get cancer in the throat and the, or, the, or the spray solutions have got to be diluted and very ha hazardous very dangerous because the plane has to fly quite low to spray yeah and there are trees and there are electric pylons and so i said we can do crop spraying what else can we do what are the things that are that have an impact i spent a lot of time in africa so i said anti-poaching we could become you know a satellite in the sky we could uh because the plane can fly for 35 hours. I said, we could just circle, hang in the sky where the poachers are and direct the uh, authorities to where they are. They can't get away. They will see this plane, just this plane doesn't go away. It hangs, it hangs, it hangs there. So we said anti-poaching, that'll make a difference. We looked at geo-mapping of countries. Can other planes do it? Of course they can. Can they do it at the cost? Now I'll come to the cost in a minute. So I looked at multitude of applications and on the back of it, it kicked off something else. So we looked at, a whole host of things. 
But for me, to answer your question, coming back to your question, what, we wanted to make something affordable at a price point that nobody could compete with us. So our competitor is a 4 by 4 Land Rover in terms of cost. Not a plane. Any 4 by 4 is my competitor because that's the real cost of operations. Obviously, we can take much, carry much more and travel further than where the 4 by 4 can go. But that is my competitor. So it was, it was, we made it at a price point and it was a huge risk because we thought at the time, I said, either time will tell whether we're genius or crazy. You know, and I didn't know. So we placed it at a very, very low price point, extremely low, which kind of, kind of tipped the market. And we got a lot of, it created a problem for us to get uh, permits to fly. You know, and that's a slightly different story. But at price point, I even had PwC contact us saying they wanted to meet with us. And everybody was fascinated because the plane wasn't a beautiful plane. It wasn't high tech. It was very, very low tech plane. And yeah. most planes come in extremely high tech. So we kept it very simple. Very simple. But again, it's like, what is the purpose of this? It doesn't, it doesn't have to kind of move two or 300 people. Yeah, correct. It's, it's for completely different purposes. It is. That's why we called it the ox, the fly ox, because it's a, an ox that flies in the sky. An ox does hard work. <laughs> right? <laughs> Hence the name. Yeah. Right. And also what we did to bring the price of the plane right down, we fitted the plane with car engines. We didn't use aviation engines. Oh, really? And every, yeah. We used, in, when we started out, we were using Mitsubishi four-cylinder turbo engines, two engines. And everybody said, why would you put a car engine in a plane? They thought we were crazy. And yeah. I said, it's very simple. I can get aviation fuel anywhere in the world in the middle of the desert. True. Right? It's, said, it's diesel. It's diesel. <laughs> Petrol or diesel. I said, aviation yeah. fuel is very uh, expensive, very hard to find in the middle of nowhere. I said, having a local mechanic can service that plane. I said, a plane with aviation fuel with, with turboprop engines needs an aviation engineer. I said, on the back of that, I said, we will create a cottage industry because the parts will be sourced locally from their local car shop. They'll buy the yes. parts from there. So that was the thinking about it. And that's, could we could bring the price right down because the operational cost per hour, there was nothing to compete with us. Yeah, it reminds me again, I've mentioned that a couple of times in other podcasts as well about my first podcast interview in 2018 with Mauricio Vecchione, where he's talking about catalytic invention and the three A's, affordability, yes. accessibility, and applicability. And right. I mean, this is this plane can actually, yeah, I mean, put it in the middle of Africa, far right. from any civilization for poaching, for example, and it works. <laughs> yeah, like you say, you can build yes. a cottage industry around it. Well, what was really interesting is when we made the plane, I actually, at that time, in two, the plane hadn't been built, hadn't been flown, hadn't been tested. And normally you would, you know, you have to fly so many hours, you need to get certification, you need to prove it, what it does on a tin. It's airworthiness. We hadn't had the chance to fly. The reason being, every country, every government said, we've never seen a plane of this size unmanned. Yeah. And they said, they wouldn't grant us permits to fly. And I thought, What's going to happen? So that was your, your major obstacle to overcome, like the unknown, the fact that they see something that's familiar, but it's really unfamiliar. It's unmanned. Correct. We sat with the civil aviation authorities, the CA, in virtually every country. They said, we won't give you the permit. And I said, why not? They said, it's dangerous. I said, but this plane has all the controls of a standard plane. You know, I said, we have everything in place. 
And they said, no, but if this and if that. So one of the things is we showed the plane at an air show, just the, the prototype of it. Yep. And a major, a major airline, a major aviation company, one of the biggest in the world, the CEO came along to see it. He looked at the plane. He loved it. He said, this is so simple. It's unique. It's different. I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then he walked around the plane. He was very courteous to me. And he said to me, well, what's the price of this plane? And at that time, I said it was $500,000. At that point, he went crazy. He went after it. He called me every name that began with an F, right, under the sun. He said, what do you think you're trying to do to the industry? And at that point, I looked at him. I thought, what do I do to this guy? Do I punch him? Make me feel good for five minutes? So I, I thought, no. So I said, can I see your, your mobile phone, your cell phone? And he said to me, why do you want to see my cell phone? I said, there is a method in my madness. Stick with me for a, for a minute. He took out his iPhone. And I said to him, if I take this iPhone and smash it, and you go to, to replace it, what are you going to pay for this phone from the Apple store? At that time, an Apple iPhone was, I think, about four or $500. I can't remember. Yep. So I said, what would happen if Apple sold this phone for $200? I said, they would take market share. I said, because people would just buy an Apple for 200 bucks. Why would I buy an Android? Yep. So I said, I'm going to trade in a place where no other plane trades. I said, planes like ourselves are 8 million plus north. I'm going for less than a million south. And I will take the market. And he went crazy. He went <laughs> absolutely crazy. Right? <laughs> And I thought, gee, maybe I shot myself in the foot. Maybe I'm doing something that's wrong. PwC then came in and said, like, why are you selling a plane so cheap and you can sell it at $4 million, at least? I said, you're missing the point. Yeah, the exactly. cost of operation is so low. I can put it at $4 million. It raises the cost of operation. The hourly cost, I said, but nobody got it. Nobody got it. And I thought, maybe I'm missing a trick here. I stuck with it. I did stick with it. So, right. uh, And I couldn't get the permits to fly. So I thought, what am I going to do? So... We went to Malta. We wanted an HQ in Malta for the financial and tax reasons. Yeah. And I, I met with the prime minister and I said to him, look, if I put a, an assembly plant here, I'll create jobs. Let me make a small interruption here. Derek just made an excellent remark about the mindset that enabled this company to create a shift in value by thinking big and thinking different. He understood that to solve some of the world's largest problems, we have to break with the traditional thinking. The problem can be applicable to the problem, but it also needs to be accessible and affordable. And this is a trait remarkable technology companies master. They focus on the essence, aim to be different, not just better, and then create new value possibilities. And you can master these traits as well, and I got various options for you to start. Just go to valueinspiration.com to learn about the masterminds and the work streams to put the fundamental building blocks in place to fast track the growth of your software business. And as you're there, don't forget to grab a free Kindle version of my book, The Remarkable Effect, to start sparking new ideas in the next 30 minutes. Back to the interview. I'll create a technology, education, know-how. I'll bring aviation to Malta. In return, you give me a little place and I'll play, our plane can land and take off on water. So he said, yep, absolutely. So we got it and now we have a headquarters in Malta. I then took the plane to Iceland because Iceland, very cold conditions. We needed to test the plane in extreme weather. Same thing. I said, look, if things go well, we may, we will consider putting a glacier. And we spent nearly nine months in Iceland. We flew the plane. We crashed the plane a few times, right? Because that's part of testing. And every time the plane crashed, I thought that was us out of business because it's expensive business. You know, you go back to the drawing board. We did the same thing in Africa. We went to Africa, flew in Africa under the humidity, crashed the plane there. And I was really convinced at that point 
that we would not survive. But as you fail, you get closer and closer to success. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I really believe that. I thought we're really nearly there. So, you know, it is about putting something at a price point that nobody could compete. True. It is doing something different. We put car engines in the plane. Now we use Corvette V6 from General Motors. And we did something different that nobody else did. Exactly. But so an unmanned plane, of course, needs to fly. So, so how do you make it fly? Is it a software? Well, what happened is basically we realized why we were crashing. When we used to examine the black box, we had pilots because, you, you know, the pilots would sit. They had a proper cockpit, just like you have in a normal plane. But the yeah. cockpit was on the ground. But they don't hear the engines. They don't feel the vibration in the seat of the pants. So yeah. they kind of detach and the pilots were, were struggling. So we thought what we need is that one of these pilots who plays computer games. Somebody's used to doing virtual stuff, you know? Yeah. So we hunted. We hunted and we hunted. We found, but we also needed a pilot who's actually an actual pilot who's got, you know, you, you can't do, So we found these pilots. And then we were traveling. We were traveling to the U.S. And I was watching a video about autonomous cars. And they had a Ferrari on ice against a 4 by 4 And they put fantastic drivers. And the drivers couldn't hold a Ferrari in the ice. Too much better. They then had it, uh, the Ferrari was done autonomously and it drove a lot better. At that point, I thought, that's it. That's what we've got to do. Make this plane fully autonomous, right? And take the error out of the pilots because the pilots are making the errors. Exactly. Right? So uh, it took us literally about 18 months to, between 18 months and two years to develop the software, testing it, testing it, and we, we did it. And when we did the software, oh, we still need the pilots. The reason we need the pilots in certain countries like in, in Africa and Asia, when the plane is landing, sometimes animals come across the runway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The software doesn't see that. <laughs> the pilots then have to take control. Yeah, uh, exactly. And and it is, and you you, you map out every you, you map prior to a flight, you tell the plane, you go into the software, you tell it where you want it to take off, when, where you want it to stop, if there is a problem, where to land, perform an emergency landing. True. And and off you go. But we talked about problems, Tom. One of the things why we couldn't get the permits to fly, we were asking for a box in the sky in remote airspace. Yeah, exactly. And traditional authorities always say, this plane, no, you can't because of the size of the plane, etc., etc. They would not grant us the permit. So I had to think outside that box, as I say, so I remember sitting with them and asking them if they had children. And they looked at me like, because that was a stupid question as far as they were concerned. And I, they said, yes. I said, are any of them under 18? They said, yes. I said, can they drive a tractor or a bus on a, on a public road? They said, absolutely not. I said, but can they drive a tractor or, or a bus on private land, on your own private land? They said, yes. I said, that's what I'm asking for, a box in the sky. We're not carrying passengers. We're not flying over cities. We're going to be performing in remote airspace. Exactly. It's reframing the problem. Correct. And they the only thing they can think of is what is normally happening. And correct. Correct. It then changed changed their perspective. Yeah. Right. And the next question is everybody said, Have you got certification? Is this plane certified? I said, No, it isn't. They said, Oh my gosh, you, you have a plane that's not satisfied. I said, Correct. It will be, it'll take time. I said, however, we're not we're flying in, in, in a remote space, we're flying over your land. We're going to be performing in, in a fire. When, when your house is on fire and those guys come to your front door and they smash it down with an axe, kick it down, leave your house in a mess, 
you give them a hug when they're leaving to say thank you, right? Because they've performed in an emergency. Our plane is going to be performing during earthquakes, during famine, fires. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's changing the paradigm. It's changing the game. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating how the established rule can't deal with that. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. So by reframing you, you came a long way by being, how do you, believing in the vision and being well, and, yeah, passion, passionate about where this could go. It, it kept you going. Well, and one of the things, you know, like I said, you don't realize when you, you do something like this, we were talking about New Guinea and one of the biggest mines in the world is in New Guinea. And sure. they came to see me and they said, we're very interested in your planes for one reason, nothing to do with the mining. I said, well, what, what do you want? They said, on the island, there are no roads. I said, okay. And they said, so as soon as they were talking to me, I brought it up on Google Maps. And I looked at them, yes. And they said, every few months, a ship comes in with supplies, food. Food is very expensive. And it, you have to take the rice from one side of the island to the other. I said, how do you take it? On horses, donkeys, on bicycles. It takes days. Yeah. So I looked at it. I said, can you give me a, I said, we don't even have to land there. We can drop it. So when we started talking some more, they said, we'll make a clearing in the forest because we only need a short runway to land. The people, when they, they went back and they had a meeting, they said, we don't want just this, these people to just drop food and supplies. So we would bring the price of supplies right down. See, They said, we will make goods and we want them to take it to the other side of the island or to the, main, to the mainland. And I realized the byproduct of what we were doing was creating jobs, was creating work, employment, yeah, revenue. Exactly. Right? All those places in, around the world where they don't spray the crops, they lose the crops because of pesticide. Exactly. And a big chug. And the price of uh, food in those countries then rises. By us being able to spray, we bring the production, is, we can produce a yield crop. You bring the price of food down. So there's a byproduct of what you do. And if it's affordable, everyone wins. Exactly. That's a brilliant idea. So what, what do you believe is the hardest nut to crack in this whole journey? It's your own belief, right? <laughs> when things are not going right. You know, sometimes you think we've done everything. We've done everything. And you, sometimes it's very, you know, you're refusing to accept maybe you've done something wrong, but you've got to be able to stand back, look, seek help, seek guidance, you know, Sometimes people see seeking help as a form of failure or, or whatever. That was the hardest thing, you know, when things were, were not going right and you think you're on the brink, is still to believe in what you've created, what you've done, all the hours and what you've put into the company. That's so yeah. you've you got, you got to have uh, that belief. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It's not technology. It's none of the other things. It's just your own belief that things can happen. And then I think that what you talked about in the beginning, like what can go right? And make yeah. it go right. Well, one of the big things for me was, you know, when things were not going right with software, I started to look at that time. I thought, here we have a company like Apple, a billion-dollar company. They got R&D. They got, they got everything. They produce a new phone, iPad, a Mac. They release it, and within weeks, it's plagued with problems, software glitches. And you think, well, hang on. Us users have discovered it in a week of using it. Why didn't, how come Apple didn't discover all these glitches? True. Yeah. Right? And I remember thinking about that. I thought, yet these guys will, they'll fix it. They will do it. And I thought, but a big company with all the resources that they have still produced a product with flaws. And it happens, right? I thought, it happens to the best of them. 
So I took uh, comfort from that. I said, all right, okay, we will do it too. We will find a way. We will navigate around it. True. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't. Well, it's, it's iteration. And the first time, it will never be right. But right. also, if you, if you just go on and go on in, in, in order to make it something that's perfect, what is perfect? You know, you need right, to exactly. test it in the real world. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, and then it is about, about going to help. Sometimes, you know, with the software, we, we did our own, we started doing our own software. And we spent so much time, we something wasn't working. Eventually, I said, let's bring in the experts. Let's spend some money. Let's go and get a company who writes the software for Boeing, all these big companies. Yeah. Let's go and talk to them. And let's, okay. And we had to do that. And it helped. And we worked with them. And it was great. Cool. I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. And yes. um, you're reading it. And yes. um, love to have your feedback when you're at the point where... hundred <laughs> percent, 100%. 100%. But what always fascinates me, of course, and that's why I wrote a book in the first place, is, is, well, what people and what companies do different that makes them stand out and that makes people talk about them. And that actually keeps people talking about them. So from all the things that you've learned with this company and the previous companies that you created, what do you believe are some key traits to create a remarkable business? Well, it's a million-dollar question. What are the keys? I think, firstly, you've got to have a vision and a plan. I always say start with the end in mind. Really, really start with the end in mind. What is it you, you, where do you think? Do your research. Really do your research. Understand the market, what it is you want to achieve. Who else is there? What is it that, you know, if these guys are out there and they haven't succeeded, what is it that you have that you think you will succeed? Or why will you succeed? I think there's a lot of questions you've got to ask. You've got to really do your research. That's one thing I've learned, you know, coming in. Fear is the thing that holds us all back. We're all fearful. That is a normal thing. And that fear can stunt growth. It can, because you think, if I do this and it goes wrong, oh, if. So sometimes what I learned through this remarkable process is don't quit. But I didn't have a background in this business. So I came into this business with the determination, like, you know, okay, we're not getting our permits to fly. What can I do to get it? Who do I need to speak to? I spoke to experts across the world and say, look, we've got something remarkable, or at least I think it's remarkable. Yeah. What would you advise? Everybody was, was intrigued with the plane. I said, how do I get around this? And I always believe life is about negotiations. We negotiate every day of our life. When we drive in the street, we negotiate. We go sure. to a shop. We're negotiating all the time. And I realized through skillful negotiation, you can get help. You can get knowledge, Right. And you can open doors, but it comes back to what I said. It's about people. So one of the things is we have a lot of experts in, in every sector of business today. True. Yeah. We might be experts, but we're not experts when we come to dealing with people. And it's you can have a great company with a great product, but if you don't train the people, you don't have a business. Exactly. It's the, pe- it's the people who make the business. Completely agree with that. And I'm to your point as well in terms of asking questions and, and finding the right people that were very, very well. And I think what triggered me was the word negotiation. There are so many things that you have that you don't realize that other people want. Yes. And if you then find you know, the same people that are, that are believing your vision as well, there's, a, there's so much to do together. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated with the book, The Beautiful Constraint, and that has a number of these exercises. And one of them is that it's like finding and searching for abundance. And right. that's exactly what this is about, you know? Yeah, yeah. Find the ones that, that need something that you have 
yeah. and and the other way around. And if you can make that connection, well, when, when we started exactly when we had the plane, I then started looking at the world's problems. In you know, I started looking at uh, places. Obviously, the plane was not designed for for the European market. It was for Africa, Asia, South America, Middle East. And I started looking and researching the problems that these countries have: border control. Yeah. yeah. Right. One of the great things was the World Health Organization. I remember I went and had a I went to a meeting just just to listen, and they were talking about these farms in in Africa where they was they had a team go in to spray these farms because of the crops with this pesticide. And I sat there and I just listened to them, and I said to them, "After you spray, how long does it take you to spray? Because these are massive farms." They said it takes us about three uh, three to four weeks. I said, "Fantastic! How long does it then does the effect last?" They said a few months. I said, and then what happens? They said, we've got to do it again. I said, what's the cost of it? So I said, then I, and I looked at it and I thought, and I turned around to them and I said, don't spray the farms. Give me the pesticide and I'll spray the whole country. And they all, they all looked at me like I was mad. I said, I'm serious. I'll have five planes in the air. And we'll, day and night, one week, I'll spray the whole country with the pesticide, all the mosquitoes that give you the malaria. And everybody looked at me. And I said, I'm serious. I am serious. I said, we had meetings with him. They were, they were intrigued. I said, tell me the spray. Tell me the, because we've got to put the nozzles, the sprays. I said, and we'll spray the whole country. Right? Yeah. So I said, at a cheaper cost than what you're spraying those farms. Exactly. So I then started to say, it becomes a tax. <laughs> exactly. I said, and while I'm spraying your country, I'll geomap it for you. We'll do the mapping exercise. And that's an expensive exercise, but we do it all in one. We have a magnometer that hangs from the plane that sees 300 meters below the earth. I said, I can tell you where the opportunities for mining are. You know? So I said, we'll do three operations in one. Are you now interested? Right? There's a spin-off. See? So there is a different exactly. way to attract. Yeah. It's a different way of attraction. So you then have, you know, so we looked at I looked at problems that were around the world. You know, like I said, the border controls. We even asked the EU, we'll put our plane in the Mediterranean. Where all the migration is taking place. Exactly. He said, and they were intrigued, but they said, we can't allow you to fly because of the size of this plane. I said, you're thinking traditionally. Stop thinking traditionally. I said, think outside of the box. You have a problem. I have a solution. Right? But just, it, it is very hard for these government type bodies and, you know, to think because this, this is the way they've done things all their lives. Exactly. That's the whole problem. It's, it yeah. stops so much innovation. And correct, correct. It's, yeah, it's, well, it, like, it's, it's preservation again. So where is it right now? I mean, company has, has moved on since 2013. Plane is there. It's autonomous. Where is it making a difference already? We have sold planes. Indonesia, as you know, has got 17,000, 18,000 islands. And access to goods used to be very expensive. Indonesia came to us. They said, and this, this was the next problem, you see. They came to us and said, we want 120 planes. Our factory, we can only build 25 a year, 30 at a bush. China came to us. They said, we want planes to, to go to the provinces. We have a fleet. They said, can we have 200? And I said, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do now? We're too um, small. We need to have other hubs. And I started looking at joint ventures. So I thought, if we can have assembly plants in different places. And... Countries came to us, they didn't want one, not only wanted to buy a plane, they wanted to buy five, 10, 100, 200. And I said, how, how are we going to meet this order? And of course, they wanted like yesterday, right? So, the problem is big enough. 
Yeah. So we said, all right, you want us to come then? We will come. You get us permits to fly? They said, we will, we will get it immediately. As we said, you provide warehousing, you provide place, we will, we will provide jobs, we'll give you the know-how. So we, Indonesia, China, South America, like the US is a big market and Canada in the Northern True. Territory because of, you know, so these are all places so we're working with the states because uh, we were very keen. The firefighters were very, were against us coming there. We said, we're not taking your jobs away. We're giving you a tool in addition to what you have. We're not come, you know, we just make planes. We don't perform the operations. The money's in the operations. The money's not in the making of planes or selling planes. It's really in the operations. Exactly. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? You know, I'm really, Tom, I'm so proud that we got our plane to fly. I was like a kid. When the plane crashes so many times, it's frightening. It's frightening to see your plane go up in the sky and crash. It's not a crash, but you think, you know what the ramifications. I am so happy we got the plane to fly, but not only to fly, but when we launched the plane, before we even flew, the aviation business at all the shows I went to, they said to me, you're three years ahead of the market. I didn't believe that for a moment. I said, this market changes very quickly. Seven years later, I see that we are still ahead of the market. And the people say, You've, you came too early. I said, you can never come too early. Right? A lot of companies have kind of mimicked or copied what we've done, but they miss one point. They, I said, when they say, I get these emails saying, so-and-so has made a plane just like yours. I said, what kind of engines do you using? What's the operation cost per hour? It's no comparison. No comparison. I said, and our plane does a multitude of things. Their planes do one or two things. So I said, so I'm really proud that we made something unique. We made something with a difference that actually makes a difference. And we never advertised. We're not a marketing or sales company. I know nothing about marketing or sales. I was always astounded the amount of people, companies, countries that were knocking on our door on a daily basis. You know, and I said, where did you hear about this exactly? Word of mouth. Words, word of mouth. Word spreads. Yeah, it's exactly the whole reason why I wrote the book in the first place. It's, uh, yeah, that you kind of you cannot market against it. Correct, correct. If if you and do something that that people really that adds a real value to people, that is critical to them, and you make you exceed their expectations, that's clearly what you do. I mean, you talk about it. If it would be flying here, I mean, I would be talking about it to people. Everybody's talking about it because yes. it's something like what's happening here. You know, that's a good point you make. When I was flying to Iceland to see. To me, the to, our, our team was there, the pilots, and I was on this plane. I heard all the people on the plane when they saw the drone down below. I heard them talking about that plane. And I felt this inner smiling in my, in my chest because they said, can you believe that drone? That is a drone, they would say, because it's the size of a small Cessna plane. And all the passengers on the, were looking out of the window, looking at our plane, and they were, everybody was talking about it, right? And I was just, I felt very proud. I felt absolutely proud. <laughs> To sit there in the quad, hearing people saying all these things. And then when I remember landing on there, the next day, a TV film crew came. And they said, we want you to carry on with your day-to-day -day business, but we just want to film what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. Right? It was a bit uh, hard at first, but eventually we got used to the cameras following us around. And they made a, they made a documentary. Then the Americans came, they did the same. And then it was in Spain as well. And it was, as you said, a word of mouth. It was the word spreads. And then you exactly. realize you have made a difference. If anything, you made 
people look up and think it is yeah. possible. Exactly. Well, nicely said. So for all the lessons that you've learned running this company, the previous companies that you've been involved in, if you would have to give a do and a don't to people that aspire to be a CEO like you as well, what would that be, the do and the don't? On the do, I'd say, look, do believe, do go out there, research, talk to people, talk to subject, educate yourself. As much as you think you know, there's always somebody who knows something that you don't. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to put your hand up and say, I don't know. You know, absolutely do not. I said, on the don't side, I'd say, don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid. Don't be the guy who, whose glass is half empty, right? Your glass is always half full. It's a mindset thing. It really is. And I really believe, and one of the things I would, I would always say to my, my staff, I'd say to them, the Usain Bolt effect. And they would look at me and they'd say, what do you mean? I said, you know who Usain Bolt is? The fastest running world. They said, yes. And I would say to them, what's the difference in time when he wins the gold and the guy that comes last? And they would say, I'd say, is it half an hour? They said, no. I said, it's milliseconds, really tiny amounts. Exactly. I said, success and failure is those tiny amounts. Gold and nothing is very tiny. But I said, it's the little extra you put in each day, which becomes like compound interest over a lifetime. I said, you know, you go to the gym and you pick up 200 kilos. You don't walk out with big biceps. Yep. But if you, if you go there every day and pick up a little, you get stronger. And over a period of time, you look good, or whatever it is you want to achieve. And the same thing in business. If, if each day you give a little more, just that it's easy to do a little more yeah. than a lot. And over that time, you will, it will result in success. True. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you think, and it's so powerful and so true. Thanks for that. So what's next for you? What is your greatest aspiration? You know, we don't know. We'll see what where COVID leads, whether we can get to fly again, to sell, or we sell the company. I don't know. We're going to think about that. At a personal level, I get a big buzz out of meeting people like you. Seriously, I'm not just saying it because we're talking. I can see the energy. I can feel your energy, right? Yeah. And that is a buzz for me, to meet guys like you, to meet uh, people who want to do something, say, right, okay, let's chat. Let's, uh, if I can give you some help, if I can help you, guide you, make it a success, fantastic. Let's do it. So it's these little things. It's the people. Uh, meeting small companies, I've done the big companies, it's fine. It's the little companies from the little acorns, big oaks grow, they say, right? So it's to take something small and make it bigger, better, and do something different. Perfect. I love those words to end. So thank you very much, Derek, well, for sharing the story, for sharing the stories, because there were many <laughs> yeah. loaded, packed yeah. with stories and, yeah. and wisdom from the journey you've been on. I mean, a special case in this case of an example of a tech entrepreneur on a mission, combining well, all the elements, actually, of what you can put together and yeah. create value. So thanks for that. I think there's a lot of lessons to learn from this and to inspire other people you know, to do the things that they dream about. No, absolutely. And I realized one thing. The more you learn, you realize how little you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, you know, you think, wow. And it really, you get a buzz from when you've opened Pandora's boxes and wow, didn't know there was so much there. What more can we do? And, you know, you live off that buzz because you think, wow, we've done this. Well, let's go to the next level. Let's keep going. Exactly. And I yes. would say thanks for that. Perfect. No, Tom, lovely, lovely talking to you. I will be reading the book. I already started it this, today. I will let you know most definitely. 
yeah, that's the start of the story. You're going to experience a whole journey. I loved your opening, the first page opening. It says, my story. I always say people remember stories, right? It is. They don't remember all the PowerPoint slides and all that technical spreadsheets or whatever. But when I started reading the first paragraph, I said, I love this. I, I know I'm going to like this, you know, <laughs> because well, it, it, it was your steps and your, yeah. your, it was you. Exactly, right? exactly. That defines me, I think, as well. And we are like-minded there. But thank you very yes. much, Derek. And yeah, I mean, I keep following the company and, and keep following you as on, on the journey to really solve some incredible, large problems in the world. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. And this ends my conversation with Derek. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that... Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Derek Mendonca, co-founder of Singular Aircraft. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.